episode is proudly sponsored by Vividly. Hello and welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. I am thrilled that you are here today because we have a very important show. Uh, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we are going to be talking about what cancer is, how to prevent it, what to do if you get that dreaded diagnosis. It's such an important topic. I honestly wish that I had heard this information, you know, two or three years ago before I got my breast cancer diagnosis. And it's really a month to raise awareness, take action and support each other. Uh, Each year in the United States, about almost a quarter million cases of breast cancer are diagnosed, 240,000, which is incredible, and about 2,100 in men. And the risk of developing breast cancer at some point in your life is about 13%. However, this is the big however, there is so much that you can do to prevent cancer and treat it should it occur, particularly if it is caught early. There is a ton that you can do. And on today's show, I am very excited to be talking with Dr. Michael Carfeld. He is author of A Better Way to Treat Cancer, and he also is going to be talking about integrative medicine's role in the treatment and prevention of cancer, especially breast cancer. And I want to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Vividly. It is a platform that empowers women to transition, edit, and flourish through midlife. Do check them out at vividly at live-vividly.com. That's live-vividly.com. And before I bring on Dr. Carfeld, I want to talk a little bit about my own story. First, I want to say cancer was not on my vision board. I have no family history of cancer. I am the healthiest person I know. I do everything right. I control my stress. I eat probably more greens than anybody I know. I literally go out to my backyard in the garden and eat an amazing amount of greens. I'm mostly vegan. I move my body every day. I work on my sleep, my stress. I do all of the things, but there I was on April 12th, my son's 21st birthday, hearing this news with the um, the radiologist saying you have a mass, and you know I heard her say I thought she said five percent that it might be cancerous, but she was like ninety five percent, and it turned out I had a biopsy. I was fortunate to get one the next day. Um, I had stage one A uh, HER two positive breast cancer, uh, and so I spent four hundred and sixty one days treating it. Two operations, nineteen radiation treatments, seventeen chemical treatments, and uh, I'm still standing. I feel great. I really was determined to navigate the breast cancer journey as a well being. I was not going to go into the why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening. It was happening. I needed to deal with it. And I really um, advocated for myself. As you learned today, there's so much that you can do from the functional medicine, integrative medicine, natural medicine perspective. And your your team on the oncology team, the conventional, aren't always down with all the things that you were doing. And I think that of all the steps in my book, this uh, empowerment step really came to the surface because I had to really advocate for myself and I felt really empowered about determining how I was going to navigate this. But I never felt that. I think it's also, it was on my vision board, but it's also not your mother's breast cancer. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, everyone was just getting double mastectomies if they got diagnosed. Today, there are so many treatment options. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we're really going to talk a lot about prevention because it's, you know, as a woman and, you know, men to some extent too, but it is really a terrifying diagnosis to get to hear you've got breast cancer, but it is so incredibly 
treatable and preventable. So let me uh, introduce our guest. He is Dr. Michael Carfeld. He is a naturopath. He has a PhD and he has been in clinical practice since 1987. He runs a very busy integrated medicine center, the Carfeld Center in Boise, Idaho. And he hosts the TV show, True Health, Body, Mind, Spirit, which is on Amazon Prime. He is also the host of a radio show called Health Made Radio. And he has two podcasts, one of which I was on, Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carfeld and Integrative Lyme Solutions with Dr. Carfeld. He is also the author of A Better Way to Treat Cancer. And he is host of the Summit Cancer Breakthroughs, which I think he'll talk more about that's happening soon. Um, And he believes in the innate intelligence and healing power of the body. And if properly supported spiritually, emotionally, and nutritionally, it can find its way back to health. I couldn't agree with you more. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Dr. Carfield. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Well, this is exciting. I'm really, really excited to be here. And and this is such a hugely important subject. So I'm I'm glad you're bringing this to light during, during this month. Well, thank you. I could see you're shaking your head, but let's, before you can sort of get into the issues with uh, diagnosis and treatment sort of in the conventional, because I know you're so much about the integrative piece. Let's just first talk about what exactly is cancer? Well, so, it, and, and cancer is a fascinating thing. It, it's, we look upon cancer as one disease, but in reality, it's a huge amount of, of different types of diseases. Even, you know, a one breast cancer, you know, like you have ER positive, H, you know, uh, PR positive, you know, estrogen, progesterone positive, you know, HER2 negative, or is it HER2 positive, is it triple negative, is it triple positive? I mean, so, so just within breast cancer, you have several different diseases that you're dealing with. And then you, it's the same with all the other types of cancer. So uh, you can then look at, and it's been this, this journey to try to figure out, you know, what, what causes cancer. Let's find the gene, you know, that is misfiring and let's fix the gene. And, and now we cured cancer. And, and obviously that journey uh, after billions of dollars, they, they haven't really been able to be very successful. We gained a lot of information, but we haven't really come closer in and figuring out, you know, what, what is cancer? How do we cure it? And, and what do we do? So it's then started to shift more towards recognizing, well, if it's not in the genome, you know, where, where is it at? And then old theories you know, are starting to come back to life. You know, had back in the 1920s, you had a, a, a Otto Warburg, you know, was a researcher, and he was looking about cancer as being a, a metabolic dysfunction, meaning that a cancer cell behaves differently and gains the energy in a different way than a normal cell does. And so it, now we're looking more into how the cell is then producing energy and if it's efficient in, in producing energy, and then when it is not, then it then tends to shift into more of a survival mode. You know, kind of we we all know when we live in life, you know, when we feel like we're just prosperous, we're enjoying life, we uh, get the free time we want, and everything is just great. Then there's no issues. But then all of a sudden, you know, we may end up in emotional or physical survival mode. And the cell does the same thing when it's not receiving the nutrients that it needs, or maybe there's kind of emotional programming that is kind of sent to the body, uh, belief systems, traumas, or it can be accumulation of toxins, infections, whatever it may be, can then interfere with how that cell functions and produce energy. So it then shifts into what's called a survival mode, where it goes back to an old 
older programming where it's then produced an energy through a fermentation process. And that then triggers actually these genetic abnormalities that we see, you know, where we have kind of decrease in what's called, you know, cancer suppressor genes, and we see an increase in cancer promoter genes. And that is more as a response to that the cell is trying to survive. So cancer is more kind of a survival mechanism uh, due to a dysfunctional mitochondria uh, than anything else. And, and so if we focus on that, uh, then we, we, we seem to have a much better response in, in what we're doing. Yeah, it's complicated, but it, I always say too, we, we have cancer cells all the time in our body, correct? And then our immune system is usually keeping them in check. Yeah, exactly. We Everyone has cancer, you know, that it's, it's just when our immune system is not able to efficiently patrol it or the stress on the body becomes so much so that the immune system is overwhelmed with what's going on and maybe focus in another area and then don't really see what's going on over, you know, in another area where cancer is developing. Uh, and then also uh, what was found is uh, our different enzymes, like pancreatic enzymes, for instance, is also one of the patrolling agents that are circulating. So when we're dealing with pancreatic issues, then we are not producing enough enzymes and those play a role also as well in the clearing out unwanted cancer cells. So uh, yeah, the, the the key is to obviously keep those systems up and running and reduce the stress you know, on those systems. So let's talk about prevention. And you focus on the spiritual spirituality, emotional component, and nutritional component, bring people to health. Someone's listening and they're thinking, I do not want to get breast cancer. <laughs> Where do we start in terms of prevention? Yeah, so you, you always, and, and I always tell, you know, the best cancer to get, or the best cancer is the one that you never get, you know, that, that's always yeah. the best cancer. So, uh, and right now, I mean, you're, you're kind of talking about statistics in regards to breast cancer, you know, cancer overall, we're, we're moving towards one out of two, you know, and, uh, you know, so these are scary numbers. Uh, do, you so, think, do you think those numbers are because there's more detection or do you think that because we have such, we live in such stressful, toxic environments that we're actually getting more cancer? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So I, I, I and yeah, I think it's a little bit of both We're we're trying to detect them earlier, which obviously is great. And early detection is always the key. Um, and also, I, I think that the stressors and lifestyle and disconnect, you know, emotional community disconnect is increasing and and all of these factors play play a role in it so uh, i think it's just longer too that's a big piece that we're you know until recently people died at 55 so you didn't really have time to develop cancer takes decades often to develop a cancer so it is and i think we're doing a lot more early detection as well yeah and that one fifty percent is huge so it's you're saying that 50 percent of people i'm assuming you're talking about sort of in Europe, America, Canada are are going to get cancer across their lifetime. Yeah, that, that, exactly. So we have two two people, and like you and I, so I'm hopefully you you carried all the fifty percent between us, <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so and so that it's it's a very sobering thought, and and obviously if you're driving a car and you know that you're you know there's a risk of a car accident, you'll you'll wear a seatbelt, and so. It's the same thing with prevention. You want to take then early steps uh, to deal with things that, you know, if you have a 50% risk of getting it, then let's, you know, work really hard to not get it. 
So you, you want to look then at the foundational pieces you know, first. And the foundational is your, your diet, your movement, and your, uh, your mindset. You know? So that, that becomes huge. I have patients or I have people both that are interview on the podcast uh, and then also patients. I, they live perfect life. They yoga teachers or they're you know, fitness trainers and they've eaten perfectly, they exercise perfectly, but you know, mindset, there's a lot of trauma still there. There's a lot of belief system still there uh, and how they, uh, their community, how they relate to their community and uh, their connection with God. Their, uh, all of these things are areas that they haven't focused as much on. So, so mindset is, is a huge, huge factor. Uh, like for instance, the, the feeling of, of loneliness or, or lack of community is a bigger factor for heart disease than anything else. Yeah. You know, so, so, uh, and it's the same with cancer. You know, if you don't feel connected and if you look upon a, a tumor here, you have then a, a cancer that is growing and it's creating its own environments, its own community, and it's disconnected from the rest of the body. And, and it's the same, you know, what's happened physically it's just what's translated from what's going on mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So, so feeling connected is, is huge. And with people, with nature, uh, with life, you know, with purpose, uh, and, and really kind of going through, you know, what, where am I at in my life? You know, where, what am I feeling? What am I, you know, where do I need to go? So mindset, huge. Uh, diet, in regards to breast cancer, cruciferous vegetables are, are like the number one key. You know, you, you want to make sure that you at least twice a day eat something that is cancer preventative. Uh, you know, so uh, any, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, you know, any, any cruciferous and also any of the kind of white foods, you know, like the, and I'm not talking white bread, I'm talking right. about, yeah, uh, an onion or garlic or, you know, a little bit of that each day is very cancer preventative as, as well, uh, or white mushrooms, you know, uh, those, those are fantastic. So bringing that in, and then obviously we don't want to feed the cancer. So what feeds cancer? Well, sugar does. Anything that turns into sugar feeds cancer. And uh, uh, so we, we want to make sure that we eat a diet that is clean from that. Uh, we also want to make sure that we have lots of fiber, you know, because fiber binds to toxic debris in the intestinal tract and help to move that out instead of it having to be reabsorbed into the liver. And, and then liver controls about 80% of our hormonal system. So, and obviously a lot of the breast cancers are hormonal related. So liver plays a huge role and then fiber eases that pressure, you know, from what's going on in the intestinal tract so that dirty blood does not get absorbed into the liver and put more stress on the liver so that it can more easily regulate hormones the way we like it to, you know, so, so fiber, it becomes really important and fiber also the insoluble fiber is like food for your good bacteria and your gut. And there in your gut, you have about 80, 90% of your immune system. So, you know, to making sure your gut is functioning, you know, appropriately and have good bacteria, uh, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, that's so uh, making sure you have good insoluble fiber every day. So cruciferous, white foods, insoluble fibers, stay away from sugar, and then stay away from pesticides, stay away from chemicals, you know, because we look at all the different chemicals that we have around us, they are considered as xenohormones. 
which means that they have a stronger impact on your hormonal system than your own hormones. So, you know, for people that are doing hormone deprivation therapy, you know, because they are diagnosed with cancer, uh, the stronger things to stay away from are, you know, the plastic water bottles, the plastic Tupperware, or, you know, your saran wrap or the chemicals that you put on for uh, uh, beauty products or, uh, or your uh, personal hygiene or the uh, different agents that you're washing your laundry or detergents, you know, those, those are chemicals that have an, a, a hormonal impact that is then going to stimulate the growth of something like, you know, uh, breast cancer. Uh, so staying away from that and then movement, you know, we've seen that uh, exercise actually increases the longevity of an individual going through cancer by 30%, 30%. I mean, there's no drug out there. There's nothing out there that increases the outcome uh, like that, like exercise does. So why not do that earlier? Why not you know, make sure that you are moving, that you are exercising, that you are keeping yourself fit, that uh, and the, the metabolic, they've seen huge connection with people that are dealing with metabolic disorders and cancer. So make sure that your metabolism, your, uh, your, your weight, your blood sugar regulation, all of that is in, in a good place. So, so that is kind of the foundation to build on. And, and all the other things, you know, supplements, IVs, and all the, all the beautiful, other wonderful things to do are great. But if you don't have the foundation, uh, you have nothing to build on. Yeah, great advice. And I have to say, do those things because you feel so good. You know, I think we always think about like these things as sort of punishment, but I mean, start your day with a green smoothie. That's what I do. I go out in the backyard. We've got a bunch of kale. Kale actually lives anywhere and it's a cuniciferous vegetable. Uh, we make our own sauerkraut. So, you know, I have some sauerkraut for lunch. And then uh, I'm curious if you think about um, what do you think about phytoestrogens, things like soy food in particular, in terms of their ability to help regulate hormones and in also lower blood cholesterol and perhaps even be uh, helpful in terms of preventing uh, breast cancer. So it, it, it's always funny to me when you go to medical doctors and, and they say, well, stay away from uh, stay away from soy because it can then promote you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, any kind of hormonal. And in reality, and, and you want to make sure what kind of soy you're getting. You want to make sure it's, it's good quality, fermented, organic, uh, because there's a, a lot of uh, genetically modified you know, soy out there and, and they will not have the same effect as the soy that we are talking about right now. So soy has, uh, so on around the cells, we have all these different receptor sites and you know the, the hormones uh, will then land onto that receptor site, stimulate an action within the cell. So it's a, like a little landing dock. And soy, what it does, it will then lock into that landing dock support and the, the hormonal activity within that cell, but it will not have that same strong negative impact like a, a, a chemical, a xenohormone that we were talking about. It will kind of blunt that effect. So it will actually kind of protect that cell and by locking into that receptor cell, uh, receptor site from these negative chemicals that can have a very toxic and cancer-causing effect. So it is very hormone-regulating, and it is also very protective when you're, when you're concerned about things like breast cancer, any kind of uh, hormone-related type of cancer. So I, I love soy, and there, there are great products out there that uh, are 
yeah, really, really beneficial. Yeah, I really like the adamame. So getting organic adamame, either fresh or actually they roast it. And it's kind of like having nuts. It's very crunchy. It's delicious. And tempeh is awesome because it's a fermented soy product. I just mix it with some soy sauce, ginger, garlic, and I just roast it at like 350, put it in, make it triangles and roast it for about 15 minutes. And it's just a lovely protein food. And the cool thing about the diet and, and the, the lifestyle we're talking about too, is again, you're going to feel great. It's going to prevent those other diseases like, like heart disease, which actually is a kills more women than cancer over the lifetime. And then also a lot of women at midlife are struggling with their weight. And so I always tell women, don't, you know, don't go for the calorie restriction and the cockamamie diets and the fads eat more plants because plants are very low in calories particularly we're talking about these leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables. They fill you up. You've got that fiber, which actually when your gut is physically full, you want to eat less. It's going to give you glowing skin, great energy, and you're going to feel really full. I know when I, when I travel or I go stay at people's homes, I kind of miss that big, big, big salad. Um, so I'm curious when someone comes in, I know, uh, you know, I shared my experience a little bit. When come, someone comes in and they've just been diagnosed with breast cancer and you've you know, talked about people even who are in the health profession What's your first step? What do you say to them? What do you do? So if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh my God, I was just diagnosed. What's, what's your first, what's your plan of action? How do you uh, work with them? Well, so, so you want to evaluate, obviously, where, where's the individual at? You know, where is it just a, are we just dealing with a breast tumor or is it in other locations that have gone into the lymph? Is it in the bones, liver, breast or liver, brain, lungs? You know, there, there are lots of places where it can go. So you want to evaluate kind of where, where's the individual at? You know, how quickly do we need to kind of address this? Uh, how much do we need to work on the cancer directly? Or how much time do we have to look at root causes uh, and then also build up the immune system, build up uh, the body's resources to be able to deal with this? So, so it is kind of evaluating first, you know, where, where do we need to go? You know, how much emphasis do we need to put where? Uh, and then we, we do want to understand what, what are the root causes? What are the original drivers? Cancer is not just bad luck, you know. It is, uh, there's a reason why something happened. You know, we ask an oncologist, you say, you know, why, why did I get cancer? And they just kind of, well, it just happens, you know, genetics. But in reality, you know, they, they try to figure out how much genetics play a role into it. And I would say 5% is kind of the, uh, the number that, and, and I would say that that's still a high number. Uh, so we're looking then at what is the root cause, what, what caused this, what drove this, uh, and there you look at what, what's your chemical heavy metal exposure, you know, what, what kind of uh, infectious agents have you dealt with, you know, what, uh, how are you eating, you know, what is your mindset, you know, uh, all those different exposure, have you lived in a, in a building where it's been mold, you know, mold is a huge factor, you know, parasites, you know, can be a huge factor, viruses, you know, all these different factors you want to then evaluate. So I, I do, you know, here I have a, a way that I'm testing individuals to see also what's going on. Uh, but then also in addition to that, you can run certain lab tests to gain a huge amount of understanding based upon the conversation that you have with the patient. So if you want to look a little bit deeper into the mold, you can do the urine test to see uh, is there, uh, you know, mycotoxin metabolites that's showing up in the urine 
or if they live in a build in a house that they've been in for a while, then I would ask them to maybe have somebody come and evaluate, you know, the building, the house uh, to see if there's any mold there. And that's not just kind of a little sample in the middle of the air. You know, it's, it's much more extensive than, than that to kind of investigate to see if there's mold there. So it, that that becomes kind of the first first uh, understanding. What am I dealing? What what is the terrain of this individual? Uh, and and what do I need to do to shift that terrain into something that is promoting health versus promoting cancer? And are you usually working along with the traditional oncology team? So do, are you working, you know, with an oncologist, or some with radiation? Uh, with uh, with surgery, or do a lot of people come to you and they don't want to go that route at all? So it's it's a mixture, and and I'm I'm here to support the individual in whichever mixture that they would like, you know. And and I'm not somebody that is against medical, you know, medical care. I just feel that it's not enough. You know, I feel that there's much more that needs to be done uh, over and above just kind of cutting, radiating, or or poisoning. You know, and and so those do play a role, and. Uh, I do work with a, a few oncologists, but the majority of the oncologists, they either uh, actually have a number of oncologists that that send patients to me, uh, even though they don't understand what I do, they they still refer patients to me. And then I have another group that tolerates me, you know, meaning that, you know, may not agree with what he's doing, but, you know, a patient wants to do it. So I'm I'm going to be okay with that. Or then you have other people that say that I'm, you know, this is just horrendously toxic. I mean, how can you even imagine giving 75 grams or 100 grams of vitamin C to somebody, you know, that, you know, that he must be a, a lunatic. And and so there are those as, as well. But I, I've seen the tide shift a lot towards them being more and more accepting. Uh, and I think it has to do with public pressure. And, and I feel also if we as integrative, you know, naturopathic oncologists, that we are uh, playing with rather than kind of being oppositional and being respectful to each other and, and working alongside, uh, then I, I think we can then achieve a much better outcome if we bring out the best of both worlds. Yeah, what I found with my treatment was um, there's tremendous support for uh alternative therapies to support the patient going through it. Like in our hospital, if someone is um, having chemo in the hospital, they actually have an acupuncturist there. Well, you know, the oncologist works with the naturopath who is board certified for, again, supplementation that is not going to interfere with the chemo and is going to be supportive. But when it comes to treatments, that's kind of where it, it, en it ended. And the oncologist is more uh, trusting the nature path to make sure that the supplement isn't going to interact with the chemo agents in a negative way. So let's talk about those, some of the cool things that you're doing to actually treat the cancer that perhaps are not within the realm of, of what would be conventionally done. So what are some of the things you mentioned, vitamin C, which I did have a few uh, vitamin C infusions, which was interesting. What are some of the other cutting edge therapies that you're using to treat cancer? And 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 that's what's so amazing the the integrative oncology space that's really it's really taken off and it's really gaining a huge amount of momentum. If we look back like 20 years ago, uh, we pretty much just had vitamin C. Yeah, you know, that that was that was it. Uh, vitamin C IV. You know, the other types of therapies have really kind of uh, 
been been utilized and researched much more since then and and that's really really exciting one of those therapies is is photodynamic therapy which i have patients flying in from a little bit all over uh you know from you know mostly united states from, from other countries as well and photodynamic therapy is is just fascinating because it is actually then using light to trigger cancer cell death you know and it becomes very selective very targeted uh, you can do it systemically and the areas of the body that is is healthy it, it's supportive and you know energizing uh, so what that is is that you introduce an a what's called a photosensitizer and a photosensitizer is a as an agent that pulls light towards itself and uh, so and what's fascinating with cancer uh, cells is that these photosensitizers are based upon kind of how blood vessels are arranged, you know, and how they, they're leaky and disorganized around tumors. You know, they tend to uh, attract these photosensitizers. So photosensitizer accumulates uh, 50 times more likely within a tumor rather than within healthy cells. And so once it's accumulated within the tumor, you can then expose that cell to a laser light, and that will then trigger production of a, what's called a oxidative, reactive oxygen, a reactive oxidative species. So you, you oxidize the cancer cell, killing it. And because you have that photosensitizer, it will then pull a huge amount of that energy from that laser into the cell to trigger then destabilization of, of its uh, genetics and also of its mitochondria to trigger that cell death within itself. So uh, that's it's really fascinating. You We do that both intravenously and you can also then do it to surround the tumor. You know, if we have access to the tumor like a breast, uh, then that would be you know very easily accessible. So then you have optic needles that you would then, you know, first you can then inject photosensitizer around and or even into the tumor, depending on. And then you you put then these optic needles and then you you blast the laser you know, onto the tumor to kind of trigger you know cell death. And it was really cool. We had one you know, cancer patient, you know, not a long time ago with breast cancer, you know, where it was one of these that's kind of protruding, really sticking out. And we were were treating it and half of it just fell off, you know. So oh, wow. it, yeah, so just kind of holding it in, in our hands, you know, half of the tumor. Uh, so uh, it, it, it is really powerful treatments and you can do that then locally, but also systemically, because one of the issues are the circulating tumor cells. So the cancer stem cells that are in your circulation and by treating yourself systemically intravenously, you know, with the photosensitizer and also have an intravenous optic needle, you treat the blood as it's passing by every minute. So in an hour's time, you'll treat the whole blood volume in like an hour. Or, or 60 times. And uh, so if we say then that we have a circulating tumor cell passing by, you know, it's tagged with a photosensitizer, you know, it's passing by and then it gets uh, nuked by the, the laser that's in, in your arm. And so that will then, uh, it, it will shatter, will die. So you have all these little fragments of that cancer cell. And then the immune system is then able to kind of check out these fragments and then develop appropriate immune response, you know, antibodies 
towards those specific fragments. And so then we're, in addition to killing you know, circulating tumor cells or cancer stem cells, we're also educating the immune system and what it is that it needs to do and what kind of, uh, you know, what uh, B cells do we need in order to kill it? So yeah, it's, it's a really, so I would say that that's a big, and, and then we have a gazillion others that I can talk about as well. Yeah, that's, that sounds absolutely amazing. Well, curious, what are your thoughts about um, intermittent fasting? So I've heard that, you know, and I, I practice it myself because it's like you said, you don't want to expose the cancer to sugar because carbohydrate, the cancer thrives in carbohydrate by limiting your window of eating. Uh, you are helping to prevent or or treat it to some to some extent, and I mean that's also just good in general to give your body a rest. But what are, you, what are the thoughts about intermittent fasting? Yeah, so so we have something that's called autophagy, and and that's something that is a normal within the body, and and that is when. Uh, the body clear out disease cells or disease tissue, uh, and then you know it will then recycle it and then build healthy tissue. And so that process is really, really important. And if we are continually eating, we're continually just saturating ourselves with uh, with food, with 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 you know like sugar or anything to you know for the cells to gain energy. We we are not allowing the body then to go into that space of autophagy, which is something that happened normally way back when, you know, when we were hunters and gatherers, you know, we, you know, for a while, we just didn't, we didn't have food for a bit, you know, while we're out hunting and trying to get that, whatever that animal was. Uh, so then we were starving and we normally went into then autophagy because we had to eat less. And so the body is, is functioning in that way to continually clean out debris, you know, when we are then calorie restricting our, our diet. Uh, so intermittent fasting is is huge, uh, and then if in addition to then triggering that autophagy, uh, you are then also like you mentioned, you're giving your digestive system a rest, you're giving your immune system rest, because we uh, the immune system along the gut lining, it is eighty to ninety percent of your immune system there for a reason, because that you're introducing food. And there's a lot of things in that food that we got to watch against and the immune system is, is ready and alert. So if you're not eating that 80 to 90% of the immune system that are sitting there waiting, they get to rest and they get to focus on other projects. And those other projects can be somewhere else where cancer is starting to develop. And now it gets to focus on dealing with that instead of dealing with food. So, so those, yeah, the autophagy, rest of the immune system becomes huge. And then we talked also about the pancreatic enzymes. You know, so when we eat, we need enzymes to digest food. And you know, pancreas is one of the main organs producing those, uh, those enzymes. And so if we're not eating, then the pancreas is still producing enzymes. But those enzymes enter into the circulation to help to clean up you know, old debris, old tissue, and also cancer cells as well. So there's a huge amount of benefits you know, from the intermittent fasting, in addition to obviously not feeding, uh, feeding cancer cells sugar, which it thrives on. Yeah, it's it's good for the waistline. I know a lot. I've had several experts on saying that it's also good for helping maintain your weight. Also good for hormonal balance. Good for your immune system. Good for cancer prevention. So yeah, intermittent fasting. But I always caution if you have a history of eating disorders or, or issues with your diet to definitely work with a professional. Or it might not be the right thing for you. So I want to talk a little bit about the thyroid connection because um, I have Hashimoto's disease. So probably a decade or so ago, I was diagnosed with. 
um, Hashimoto's disease, which is uh, my thyroid was, my immune system basically was attacking my thyroid. So my thyroid was not working properly and then came down with breast cancer. I've seen that a lot with women who have Hashimoto's thyroiditis and then get breast cancer. What is the connection between the thyroid gland and breast cancer? It, it is a huge connection. I mean, if you look at like Gerson therapy, uh, which uh, it part of the standard protocol of Gerson therapy is to get on thyroid glandular. Uh, it, it was that important. Uh, so the thyroid plays a, a role in so many different things. You know, one is, you know, obviously we're talking about the metabolic activity within the cell. And when the metabolism slows down, the cell goes into that survival mode. So now the thyroid is the one that regulates that metabolism. Uh, and so if you are hypothyroid, then the energy production within the cell is going to be decreased. It's going, it's not going to be able to repair as well. It's not going to be able to detoxify as well. It's not going to be able to repair the, the genetics as well. So everything just kind of goes downhill, you know, as soon as you're dealing with hypothyroidism. So by supporting the thyroid appropriately, uh, whether you're doing it through medication, doing it through thyroid glandular, through herbal, you know, iodine, selenium, L-tyrosine, uh, whatever it is that you, you're bringing in to support the thyroid, that will then ramp up the immune system and also then increase then cellular health in itself. Uh, you, you're then less prone to, to get cancer. So thyroid is, is kind of like the, you, you can't not address the thyroid when you're dealing with cancer, or if you're concerned about cancer, uh, then thyroid, you've, you've got to make sure that it's, it's in the right place. And you can't just look at the, um, at the labs, you know, so you, you go to a, a doctor and they just run like TSH, the thyroid simulating hormone. And that is a signal sent from the pituitary to the thyroid telling it, you know, how much activity that it should have. And so if that number is high, that means that the thyroid is not behaving well and the pituitaries get it scream really loud, you know, to get the thyroid in, in gear. Uh, but it, and if it's very low, then then it's opposite. Then we assume that the thyroid is working well. But there can be so many different reasons why that is not an accurate number, the TSH. So you cannot just look at TSH to assume that either you have thyroid issues or not thyroid issues. You do need to do a complete panel on thyroid. And that includes, you know, TSH is a good one. Then you do free T3. You got to do either total or free T4. And I would look at reverse T3 is important. It is crucial because if that is elevated, then you look at, you know, you have some immune system challenge, some chemical challenge, and you, you don't want to have that one much more than 16 on your reverse thyroid. Uh, and then obviously, you know, what's frequently missed is the Hashimoto's, you know, people don't test the antibodies. And, and I see a lot of people uh, going through with these issues, they've been tested for TSH, it looks fine, fine, fine. And then I test them to complete panel, I, I see, well, you got Hashimoto's, you know, we got to address this, you know, there, again, you don't have a disease just because there's a reason. So you got to look at the underlying factor. So yeah, thyroid is, is important. Yeah, it is. I know I was diagnosed with it and, and pretty much changed my diet, gave up gluten um, and also inherited it. My father has it as well. So there is a heredity factor more. It is actually the number one immune uh, disease for women, I believe. And also the um, I think the leading disease for thyroid issues. So it's important to get it checked. I always tell my clients, if your weight's weird, your energy's low, definitely get your thyroid check. I think it's something we should pretty much all all be doing. So um. 
Finally, I want to talk a little bit about um, hormone replacement therapy, because we know years ago that huge study came out and all of a sudden hormone people were taking it. It's fantastic for women who are going through menopause, having symptoms, and also great, you know, even after you've been through menopause, estrogen is protected for the brain, the bones, the heart. Um, what is your feeling about hormone replacement therapy in terms of the connection with breast cancer? And and that study was very sad. I mean, because it very it, sad. Yeah, <laughs> it was because because it was not done appropriately, and they were testing. Yeah, so it it was it was not a it, it had a huge impact on so many people's lives, and it was not a a, a good study in itself. Yeah, the they way wanted it was to done. make it. They wanted to make news, and so they were more interested in making news than in science, and it really really changed women's health in such a, a big way. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about the connection between breast cancer and hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, so so they see that that women that go on to hormone replacement therapy uh, a little bit before their menopause, when they start to get uh, perimenopausal, uh, that the likelihood of developing breast cancer or any kind of hormonal type of cancer actually goes down quite dramatically. And that's that's both being on estrogen, progesterone, you actually want to be on, on both. Yeah, so hormone replacement therapy uh, is, a, is, is a huge protector. It, it boosts your immune system. You mentioned you know, bones, heart, uh, brain, how you feel emotionally, your skin, uh, all these... <laughs> sleep. I mean, I'm taking it right now and I just have to say it's, it, my sleep's improved dramatically. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, 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 it's huge. And, and you mentioned earlier that we are living longer. Yeah. You know, so uh, people are thinking then, well, you know, if, if, if uh, God wanted us to take you know, hormone replacement therapy, then, you know, he would have done something else. He wouldn't have let them then drop if it was good for us. But the, the issue is exactly that we are living longer. So we have to then develop strategies to be able to link, live healthy longer. You know, so it, it's not just kind of your, your longevity, you know, lifespan, it's your health span or even your brain span. Yeah. Dementia, Alzheimer's, these are big deals and they, that is a pandemic. So, you know, Getting then on hormones and maximizing your health with hormone replacement therapy uh, is huge for your brain and for your cognitive thinking. Uh, so I, I'm all for doing that, but I, I do want to make sure that people do the bioidentical uh, bio type of hormones, you know, versus Premarin or versus things that are synthetic because you have the synthetic hormones. It's when you take something natural and you tweak it a little bit. And, and this way you're then able to patent it or you're able to make money because it is something that you are bringing to the market and it's your product and it doesn't exist in nature. So you, you should get the money because you, you did it. And that's exactly where the pharmaceutical companies, what, you know, where they go uh, in order to be able to you know, make money on some of these things. But synthetic hormones, what they are, so we, again, we talked about these receptor sites. So it's kind of like a keyhole and a key and the key's got to fit you know, perfectly into that keyhole. And if it doesn't, it doesn't really elicit the, the appropriate response within the cell. It may have some things, but not really. So the synthetic hormones is exactly that. So the body then feels like I am getting the hormones and then it will produce less of its own. Uh, but then these hormones that you're getting really does not have the same impact as your your own or the bioidentical form. So 
Um, yeah, it, it's I, identical hormones. I, I think everyone should monitor where they're at, you know, whether male, female, and, and make sure you optimize it. Yeah, it's simple. I just put on a little cream every night and it's, it's a combination of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And I definitely, definitely feel great. I wish I had started it earlier. So I guess final question is, how do we advocate for advocate for ourselves? I mean, I, that was a big issue for me. I mean, I went down to the Brigham, get a second opinion. You know, I was I was told I was supposed to do chemo and uh, Herceptin. Herceptin is a autoimmune, um, for listeners, it's an autoimmune drug for uh, HER2 positive. And I decided to just do the Herceptin and I got a lot of grief, like you're crazy. And I just felt like, uh, um, 12 weeks of chemo, three months of chemo was like burning down a forest because there might be an effect, infected tree, but it was scary. It was hard. So I guess, how do we advocate for ourselves? And also how do we, we find if some people don't want to go, you know, out to where you are, how do people find alternative care and, and really get the, their best, the best treatment for themselves? Yeah. And, 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 and this is really important because I mean, studies are showing that the person that is empowered and take control over their own care uh, their outcome is uh, statistically much better than, than one that doesn't. So it, it, it becomes really important that you do your own research and you ask strong questions with the oncologist and don't get intimidated by uh, what they're saying. Because they, uh, and, and I have friends that are medical oncologists and, and they say that uh, many oncologists, they use this strategy just because they want to save time. They don't want to get into discussions. They don't want to get into, they just want to kind of, well, get on chemo, do this and, and move forward and then be done. Well, it's also and then... insurance too. Mm -hmm. Like my oncologist actually did talk to my insurance company, but I mean, this is the treatment and this is what's approved. And it's a little hard to go off the protocol. And also they're thinking about their licensure and things if they should go off the protocol. So it's very complex. Yeah. So, and, and that's also important to understand is that the medical oncologist, uh, you would think that, well, they want the best for us and they, maybe you have a very caring individual in front of you, but they are still limited by their, their scope and what's called standard of care. And if they don't follow that, uh, there's a lot of checks and balances within the medical oncology community and if they don't follow that, the, the risk for them to be investigated and lose their license uh, can become quite huge. So they operate from that space. So it's important when you're communicating with them to understand where they're coming from. So they can't really go and say, well, you should get vitamin C IV, you know, because I hear that that boosts your immune system. You know, they can't really say that because let's say that all of a sudden, you know, you're the care, uh, your, your cancer progresses and you don't get a good outcome. And then you will point that towards, well, he told me to get vitamin C IV and then there's an investigation. And then the board says, well, why did you tell him to get vitamin C IV? That, that's not part of the standard of care. You know, maybe that is why the medical, you know, the chemo didn't work or whatever it may be. So, so they need to kind of come from a place of caution and then you as a patient need to be an advocate for yourself. And it's important also to find people around you, create a community, and they may not be your family or your friends, or uh, it may be other parts of the community that you need to bring in to, so you feel supported in what you feel is right for you and do the research and recognize that the medical oncologist is very limited as to what kind of tools that they have available. 
Uh, so they can only use those tools and only recommend those tools. And if uh, so, even though uh, it's not curative or even though it may not really help a lot, uh, those are the only tools that he has. And that's part of the standard of care because those are the only tools. So if you know that and then read and research something that I think that this would be really good, uh, then know that the oncologist is probably going to say no, or let's wait until after we do what we do, and then you can do whatever you want to bring in. But the best outcome is to integrate, is to bring it together. And uh, so, yeah, so it's important to be your own advocate. Yeah, and get a team. So I had, a, I had an OD, I had a functional medicine doctor, I had a naturopath, and then I also had my conventional team and made my own decision. So I recommend grab Dr. Carfeld's book, A Better Way to Treat Cancer. You also have a summit coming up as well. Can you tell? Yes. Yeah, so it's the summer is going to be amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing the, the best of the best and, and the integrative oncology space. Uh, it's a seven, seven day summit and it's it's the first seven days are free obviously if you want to be able to kind of watch it later on or get transcripts and you know do that then then it's a small fee to to purchase it uh, but it starts october 31st and we'll have you know people like thomas seafred you know which is kind of the 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 father of a metabolic approach now we have paul anderson dr paul anderson yeah he's a author of a uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's amazing. He's one of the kind of leader integrative oncology, you know, uh, oncologists here and, you know, in the world. And yeah, so it, it's, it's such an amazing lineup, 50 different doctors and, 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 you know, experts. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible event. So can people go to the, is it the carfoldcenter.com? So it, it will be, yes. Yeah, so what I would do is, uh, so we'll do kind of a mailing on it. Uh, and so I would just go to our, our website. You know, you can get our free uh, ebook, you know, which is the first chapter of our, uh, of, of my book, A Better Way to Treat Cancer. So you can get that. And then also you'll, you'll be on an email list and then we'll communicate in regards to what's coming up. You know, so uh, yeah, that, that would be a great way. So the carfoldcenter.com get okay. the free ebook that's there uh, then we'll we'll kind of inform you as to when the uh, uh what what you need to do to uh, view the webinar or the summit for free awesome so it's the carfeldcenter.com i know i'm on your mailing list i'm looking forward to going and learning more and i don't know i had a lot of silver linings to my diagnosis so if you you know hopefully today's information has given you a lot of food for thought for switching up your nutrition plan, your exercise plan, your emotional health, your spiritual health feel. It's all about feeling your best. And I know I made some huge changes when I feel amazing. Dr. Carfeld, thank you so much for being here again, folks. It's the carfeldcenter.com. And I want to let you know again about our sponsor. It is Vividly. It's a fabulous platform that empowers women to transition, edit, and flourish through midlife. I am there. Uh, uh, one of their ambassadors. You can check them out at livevividly.com. That's livevividly.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you again, Dr. Carfold. If you want to reach out to me, it is themidlifewhisper.com. That's themidlifewhisper.com. Have a great day and thanks for being here. Thank you. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vividly.